Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. So, Jambar, here we've got a new sponsor. Yes, mate. So, for season two of the Hitting the Areas podcast, we have a brand new sponsor. Uh, the guys at Ellsbury Glazing Repairs have kindly sponsored us for this season. Um, so, for any sort of glazing and window repairs, they're your guys to go to. So, you know when um, your windows blow and you get all that sort of condensation and, and maybe some water inside the glass? Yep. These are the guys to talk to. Um, I've literally just had it done. My missus has been banging on for ages about getting it done. I had them come in. They've taken a look and they've done a brilliant job. It's like I've got new glass. Um, so, yeah, if you are looking for... Um, that type of service in the area so any sort of window repairs or any glazing specialities um you need to give them a call so you can give them a call on 07-889-730-995 or you can email them at glazingrepairs at hotmail.com now they normally serve the likes of buckinghamshire oxfordshire hertfordshire and bedfordshire um and their aim is to give you a clearer view every time you can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Nice one, Jambo. Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to the Hitting the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kyson. Rich, how are you? Really good, Jambo. Really good for a Monday. How are you? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no, good, good. Um, fully recovered. Fully recovered from the old COVID outbreak. Good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Um, so today we've got a, another new area to look at, uh, another new guest. Um, today we are going to be interviewing Swansea City goalkeeper coach Dean Thornton. Um, Dean's an experienced goalkeeper coach. Um, he's only 34 years of age, so he's a young goalkeeper coach, but he's had a lot of experience. Um, started out at Wickham as a player um, and then cut his career short very very quickly and, and went into coaching from a very young age QPR, Swindon um, MK Dons and uh, obviously Swansea City uh, obviously those last two there's a little bit of a pattern there, um, he works under Russell Martin we'll get into goalkeeping as well, we've obviously had a goalkeeper on in the past but we're actually going to obviously have a little chat with someone who deals with the coaching side of goalkeepers yeah, Jambo, it'll be really good to talk to him. And, you know, um, we're living up to our name again. We're hitting another area of the game that we haven't spoke to. Um, I know that, you know, obviously through my own knowledge, I know he's worked with some top people in the game, uh, some real top goalkeepers and top managers. So it, this is going to be a really interesting chat and uh, the first of another another aspect of the game that we haven't really hit. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's get Dino on. Uh, I'd like to welcome on to today's episode, Mr. Dean Thornton. Dean, how are you? Good, thank you, guys. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Rich is with us as usual. Rich, do you want to say hi? Evening, Dean. How are you okay, mate? I'm oh, good, Rich. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Really good. Really good to have you on. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, Dean is the current Swansea City goalkeeping coach. Um, Dean did start out as a pro. Um when he was at Wickham Wanderers. So, Dean, that's the sort of perfect starting point. Um, if you can just sort of talk us, one, how you got into football as a goalkeeper, and then two, how you got into Wickham. And, uh, 
and just talk a little bit about that. No worries. Um, I started playing in goal uh, when I was about seven years old. Um, started off as an outfielder, as, as most goalkeepers do. Um, decided that there was far too much running involved. Um, and just out of chance, uh, my local team that I played for in Hayes, a team called Brookhouse, we had a tournament. And uh, I can't remember the goalie's name, but he, he had to come out. And I, I went in goal and I loved it because there, there wasn't as much, much running. And I loved um, diving at a striker's feet. Um, <laughs> and I got good taste of it early on. And I remember in the summer, my first maybe six or seven tournaments that summer, I got scouted for quite a few clubs. Um, I ended up signing for QPR as an eight-year-old. Um, so that's where the goalkeeping first started for me. Um, was lucky that I got, as I say, I got picked up early on, and obviously my my career went from from there to 19, where I ended up at Wickham. But I um, I signed at QPR as an eight-year-old. I stayed there till I was 12. Um, got offered a new two-year contract. Um, Still to this day, I regret that I decided that um, for whatever reason, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to play Man United and Chelsea and Arsenal and teams like that each week. I wanted to go and play with my, my mates again down the down the local team um, at Brookhouse. And I did that, uh, turned my back on a two-year deal at QPR. Um, six weeks later, I, I realised I've, I've absolutely had one um, and I wanted to go back to a better standard of football um, and just start a chance I had a coach at QPR, uh, a man called Colin Gray, that um, went to Wickham as a coach. And he found out that I left QPR and he said to my dad, look, one, widely leave? And two, can he come to Wickham? Um, my dad told him and uh, called me a few names for, for leaving. Um, <laughs> quite funny as a 12-year-old. Um, but no, I went to, I went to Wickham. Um, I was about 12 and a half, I think, at the time. Um, Went to Bisham Abbey, trained at Bisham Abbey for my first session and done one training session and I got told there and then, would you would you like to sign? Um, obviously, I spent another six and a bit seasons there and got released at uh, nine, 19, I was. And Just going uh, back on that, Dino, that when, when you turned down that QPR contract, was that, you know, I, I, I obviously don't want to go into it too much. Was it fear? Was it just the fact that you want to play with your mates? What was it? Um, I'll be honest, um, it was a few things. I I was really lucky that the team I played in uh, as a kid, we were, we were really successful as a, as a local grassroots team. Um, I lost one game in two years. Oh, wow. Um, and the only the game we lost was a, a county cup final. And why we were gutted still, even to this day, it hurts me. It was our, it was our last ever game together because uh, I think at the time, when you, when you were about that age, I think that was 13 players in a team. Um, I think nine of us got picked up for for clubs um so it was our lot it was our last game together um mm. and that's why it um when i went to qp obviously I, I was used to winning so much and obviously when you when you play chelsea's man united arsenal you you don't always win um mm. and for some reason i i couldn't I, I really struggled to adapt with not coming home after a game and not winning yeah um, so that was that was one reason and um two it was just that we were so close as um as mates at my local team, I just assumed that because I'd gone back, like the others would leave as well. Um, mm. And they didn't, they didn't choose that. Um, but I, a few other things as well, like I, I, you put so much into play, being at an academy and you lose out on a lot. I, I never got to play for my, my primary school. My um, QPR banned me from playing for my primary school. Um, and there was, at the time, I think five of us 
in the same year that we're all at QPR. So all five of us missed out playing with our with our primary school, which we're gutted because we, we had a really good team. Um, and it sounds like it seems nothing now as a as a thirty four year old, but when you're when you're nine, ten, eleven, um, and you get told like you've got to watch your mates play against other schools and win cup finals and piece, and you can't play, and then people are asking, well, hang on, don't you play for QPR? Why can't you play? Um, so it's little things like that. Like I never got to do other outdoor activities as much as I wanted because at the time it was obviously I think it was like quite new, like the academy system, what they called it. Um, yeah, everything was brand new. Where like I remember them telling me. We've got teachers now at QPR where you'd finish your normal schoolwork, and then when you come to training, like we've got teachers there to to help you with your homework. And it was all brand new. And it was brilliant. Like I'm never going to knock my experience at QPR. I loved it. I love the club still. Um, but just as a 12 year old, like I felt, I found it really tough with going to school, and even like all my mates were talking about how they played at the weekend. They're obviously they're still in the same team, and I'd be saying, oh yeah, by the way, like we we beat I don't know Tottenham three one. But like, I'll, I'll be gutted that they're all talking about like they won the game fifteen nil or something. And yeah, it's silly things like like now I look at it, it's, it's really simple, it's really bad. Why the reasons why I wanted to leave? Um, if looking back in hindsight, I've, um, I probably would have stayed at QPR. But then, but I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Um, yeah. If I'd have not left QPR, I wouldn't have gone on to Wickham. I wouldn't have gone on to meet obviously Russell Martin. I wouldn't have gone on to be a godfather to, to one of the players that was in my youth team, a lad called Wesley Douglas. I'm a godparent to his his little girl. So um there's there's loads and I wouldn't be here today really as a mm. as a goalie coach for Swansea City if I didn't if I didn't go to Wickham. So yeah. It's always a, it it's always a difficult period, I feel, that that when when they are at school, um guys that are in academies, or it used to be anyway, because I, I used to know loads of lads that were in academies. And they weren't yeah. allowed to do much. And they missed hanging about with, you know, their mates and, and playing with their mates and stuff like that. So you can kind of see why some will just go, do you know what? Forget it. I want to play with my mates. This is now. Yeah, yeah. Well, this know, is what, rather than thinking about the future or whatever, I don't know. But... This is what frustrates me with people that, that don't understand the game as, as well as they might think it. Like when you when you hear um, professional footballers getting paid X amount of pounds, there's a, there's a big reason why they're getting paid that. One, because... I don't think that people realise how much they actually go through to get to where they are. Um, it's you've got to be extremely, extremely lucky to be a professional footballer and to earn really good money. You, you've got to be one of the luckiest people in the world because there's such a small, small rate of people that get to to live that dream. Um, but people don't see the dedication that these kids um, take as, a, as as young young players starting and even like local, like going back to your primary school. Like I can never play for my primary school. It sounds bad, like, but it's. Mm. That's what these players have to give up. And then I see people like the racing car drivers, they get paid an absolute fortune. And to me, I just see it as they drive around the track. But no one ever mentions what these people earn. But mm. when it comes to footballers, oh, they, they, should be, they shouldn't be doing that. They, they're on 100 grand a week, whatever. They, they're human beings. Um, yeah. And when they, when they can't go to the shop or whatever because people are filming them, I think, oh, like, there's a reason why they get paid this amount of money. Because, like, until you come out of the game, like there is no life. It sounds like I'm 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 saying football is horrific. It's not. It's a, it's a great industry to be in if you can stay in it. If you're a top top footballer, everyone will give their arm and leg to be a professional footballer. But there's a lot that comes with it that people the people don't see, mm. and that's mm. why when I hear people slating off footballers, I just think you, you don't really understand what they've gone through to get to that, that level. I know exactly it's what you great... mean because because yeah. I, because like playing for your school, that's like some of the best memories that even. Even today, you know, you you like talk to the people from back then, and 
those are some of the best memories. And obviously, being in an academy, don't have that. You know, um, we aren't here to to like feel sorry for them because of where they are. But no, of you have to remember that everyone is human, aren't they? Everyone has feelings. That's it. Um, so Dino, when you went to Wickham, uh, you're obviously there for uh, about nine years, you said, and then you got released. Um, uh, I was, I was about six six years, a thirteen. To, okay. I got released as a nineteen year old. Okay. Um, how was that? Because that that would have obviously been your first, um, for want of a better word, your first sort of rejection from within the game. Yeah, um, I'll be honest. I didn't feel rejected at the time because um, during during my two years as a scholar, um, I got an opportunity really early that I got put on the bench um, in the I think it was in the LDV. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got put on the bench at sixteen. I was a first year scholar with um, I think that might have been Russell Martin's first time on the bench as well, and uh, Ikechianya. Um, so I remember yeah. that obviously happened quite early on and I thought oh, I'm, I'm doing really well here as a 16 year old um, and then I think it was maybe like two or three months later I ended up, I ended up breaking my leg against Brentford um, so I was out for a, a long time I was out for maybe about eight months straight breaking my leg and then um, I got back to full fitness and I remember the first my first day back training was like the next day and we were we left the training ground to go to the back to the ground and obviously where the training ground is you're going through the woods um, down, the, I can't remember the road what it's called, but it's, it's only like maybe two miles the road. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And me and four other youth team lads were in the car, I and mean, we ended up having a car crash. Um, and uh, I was I was sat in the middle, uh, and I had no seatbelt on. And we went up a bank and we crashed into a tree. And I I went through the middle of the seats. Um, I ended up tearing my cruciate. So I'd done I'd done eight months out straight, got back to full fitness. My first day of being back on the grass. I ended up being in hospital again and I spent another, I think, seven months out on the sideline. So I, I've done a year and a half really from my, from my first year to halfway through my second year of being on the, uh, on the treatment table. So um, I found it tough that way where I was watching everyone playing. Um, and then when I finally got back to full fitness, I, I'll be honest, I, um, I really struggled, really mm. struggled. I, um, I would train for a month and I'd have little niggles. I'll be out for a couple of weeks, train for a month. Uh, get a little niggles again and I sort of when I, I remember having the meeting when they said look we are going to offer you a professional contract and I was like okay like and obviously I was relieved that I was gone and I was grateful um, but looking back now like, obviously I, I believe I got my contract because I was out for so long I don't think it's because I warranted the contract it's because I'm, I'm, I'm honest with myself I know that they give me an extra year to see how I would develop and mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't do it I'll be I'll be really honest I, I really struggled with with full-time training um could just couldn't get fit, never mm. get fit. I'd play for a couple of games, be out for a couple of games, play for a couple of games, be out for a couple of games. And I, I just really, really struggled. So I um I half knew it, I'll be honest, when I when my time was come to the end, when I was going to get released. Um I will explain my my release story later if if you want want to know properly. <laughs> yeah. Or would you want to know now? <laughs> yeah, go cool. far away, far away. So obviously I got I got released by um Paul Lambert. Um oh. So what a surprise! What a surprise! <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a scary man, as you know. And um, yeah. being being a nineteen, yeah, Greg, Greg's had some stories. He's a scary, <laughs> scary man. Um, being a nineteen-year-old, you obviously, when you know, when you've got like a month left, and you you obviously hear about contracts coming, renewals, and bits and pieces, you're you're obviously building up. Like you always think there's an outside chance you you might get a deal or 
you definitely know like nothing's going to happen. But you always think there's something that might happen. And I remember um, obviously the build up to it, like there's a, you've got two more days till the gaffer's going to tell you uh, if you're going to get uh, retained or not. Obviously the next day, you, it's one more day you're thinking like, if I don't get, if I don't get um, a new contract, what, what am I going to say to him? Um, but bear in mind, you're thinking like, I'm actually quite scared of this bloke. Um, <laughs> I, and I remember being at the training ground and uh, I hear uh, Dino come upstairs and obviously, obviously the gaffer. And I'm thinking like, because everyone's sat in the change room because you always come down, I've been released, like good luck, blah, blah, blah. Or I've got yeah. a new deal. You're going to see, I'll be like, oh, well, like, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. So everyone's sitting down there. And you, I remember walking up the steps to his office. And um, so I'm, I'm 19 and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm absolutely bricking myself. Um, I knock on the door, uh, Gaffer, she come in, son, and I walk in, and he, uh, he says, sit down. Um, as I'm about to sit down, I'm not joking you, he, he told me, um, Dino, you're being released. My, my backside didn't even hit the chair. And I went, oh, okay, cheers, Gaffer, and I walked out, and I never see him again. That, that was my release from Wickham. Wow. I, I, never, I never spent another day's training. That was me gone. So I had seven years of being there from a kid to being a pro, my my release meeting, I'll be honest with you, lasted no longer than two seconds. Um, going moving it forward, um, obviously I, I work now with Matt Gill, who uh, is the assistant manager was assistant manager at the time at Ipswich under under Paul Lambert. All um, right. Last season at MK, Gilly and Russell were really close friends. Um, obviously, Russell told Gilly this story. The stories obviously got back to me through Gilly and said, "Look, um, obviously we're playing you in a couple of weeks. Obviously MK versus Ipswich." He said, when Paul Lambert comes in to uh, see you after the game, like, you please, like, you've got to, like, do this story again for me. <laughs> like, okay, so, uh, I, like, I, first time I've seen Paul Lambert in, uh, what's that, 16, 16 years, 17 years? Mm. And uh, so we're sitting there, we're having a beer after the game, and uh, Gilly goes, come on, Ding, let's tell Paul, tell Paul your story. So I'm sat there, and he went, no, 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 do, do it properly. So I've had to go out of the office, I've knocked on the door, Gilly's pretending to be Paul Lambert. Paul Lambert's there watching me. Russell's there. There's other people in the room. I'm knocked on the door and Gilly shout out, come in, son. And I've walked in, walked in and I've gone, hello, Gaffer, how are you? And I went, I just went to sit down and Gilly's gone, uh, yeah, you're being released. And I went, cheers, Gaffer. And I walked out. I come back in and they're all crying with laughter. <laughs> to be honest, I was still scared of Paul Lambert then. This was last year. And mm. I went, well, I'm glad that went well. And he turned around to me and he went, um, you're lucky, son, that you got two seconds. <laughs> fair play, fair play. Yeah, he probably didn't remember who I was. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. for me, that's a funny story now looking back. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, it was I just I, I knew it, so for me, it was funny, but it was a way that I had to do it again in front of about 10 first team staff last season at, at MK. <laughs> and he just looked at me, but being when you're lucky, you got two seconds, and I thought, yeah, fair play. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so cutthroat, so cutthroat. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. Massively cut for a game. I mean, I don't know how it compares to now. You probably you might not deal with stuff like that anymore because obviously you, you're doing first team stuff. So, but sure, I, I would have thought there is a sort of duty and care. Oh uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's changed completely now. Um, like, I don't want to talk bad about Wickham, but they're they're a great club. But my my release and it's a different time, a different era. It's yeah, 15 oh, years yeah. ago. My, my release meeting was honestly two seconds. As I say, my backside didn't hit, hit the chair. Yeah, That was my release. I left that day. I, I never got a phone call again from anyone in the club. Not to say, look, do you want are you going to go on trial? Mm. How are you doing? Do, do you need any support? I got absolutely nothing. 
nothing. But that, that's that's how football was at that time. And listen, it's um, mm. I'm big enough and old enough to. I, I'm luckily I, I can deal with it. And being in the industry now, like I, I know that doesn't happen no more. If um, yeah, obviously working in the academy at QPR as a coach, obviously I did have to deal with that and I had to deal with releasing uh, goalkeepers, which was terrible. Um, I hated every bit every bit of it. Um, but even then, like support network, like there's so many people now and stuff, and there's roles for for people that, that are there to support um, the players. Yeah. But yeah, 15, 16, 17 years ago, it was uh, all the best <laughs> and, and walk out. So that, that was football. Dino, I, I, we're going to hold sorry, on, Jambo. Rick. Sorry, I know you want to move. I, I want to move on quickly, but how did you? I just want to go on to you said you had to release at QPR. Yeah. The way it made you feel when being released. Did that change the way that you did it at QPR? Or did you do it similar where you were like, do you know what, it made me a better person? Or did you do something slightly different? Um, when I when I first started, because um, I, I literally left Wickham and three months later, I'm, I'm at QPR as a coach. Um, and I didn't, I had no ambition. Well, I'd say I had no ambition. I, I didn't even think about coaching. It was purely off chance how I got into being back at QPR. And just purely on the, the fact of, my under 10 manager at QPR was uh, the head of uh, the youth development at QPR at the time. And Steve Brown and Keith Ryan went to QPR as well. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah. How, I, that's how I ended up going back to QPR. But um, when I first started, like you, you don't get any training, like how to release a player. So you, you're, you're trying to be as honest as you can without obviously hitting the nail on the head with the younger kids, especially because it's as soon as you say you're being released, especially younger age, not nine times, times out of 10 they start crying um and you feel terrible um but as i've got as you get older and obviously you get more experience you find a way with how to, i just try and be really honest that's that's what i've learned and um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mention any names um about qpr but when when i before i left i had to had to release a player and i i actually um i disagreed with why we should release him i actually wanted to keep him um and i and i was forced to to do the meeting and release him. Um, and I was explaining to the coaches that were in charge of myself at the time that I think um, he's worth a bit longer, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they they decided that it was a no and they're my bosses, that's what I have to do. Um, mm. But it was that's the toughest meeting I've ever done where I've had to speak to a parent and, and the player and give them the reasons why they should be released. But in my head, I'm thinking, you should be here. Um, yeah. That's that's the toughest meeting I've ever had to do, but um, yeah, it's it's, tough. it's the worst. It's brilliant being a coach. It's brilliant working mm. in professional clubs in the academy side. It's the worst thing in the world when you know you're coming to the end of the season. You've got to release kids, and some kids will. I imagine a lot of kids never ever recover and get back to either the academy or even making this football. That's um, that's the harsh world that, that football is, yeah. um, and especially it's a little bit different, I think, for goalies because. You work so close together as a group. Um, where when outfield coaches release players, there's no—I wouldn't say there's no emotional attachment. They, they obviously, there is obviously is, is some some aspect. But when when it's goalkeepers, like you could have two goalies in one age group, and you could work with that and two keepers like two or three times a week, and you might have had three, four, five years with that kid, mm. um, and then you obviously you come away thinking, oh, like that. The lad really liked working with me, and you really like working with that kid. And then when you you're, when you're the one that releases that player, he might go away for the next two three years, going, oh, "I hated that coach." And you just think, "Well, like you put all your, your energy into trying to make the, the player best he can be, 
and unfortunately you, you you've got to be the one to release him and they might they might hate you for the rest of your life unfortunately that's the, um, that's the way academy uh, academy football is not everyone can make it yeah um Dino so after working you obviously went to QPR um what was your role to start off with there so I um I got a phone call when I got released from from Wickham um Steve Gallen uh, rang me and said, look, obviously I've heard you've been released. Um, I'm looking for a, a goalkeeper coach to work with the youth team. Uh, is that something you're interested in? And I, I just said, look, um, yeah, I, I had no ambition going to play again. For me, I was done at 19. I, I went on loan um, and I hated every minute. Um, maybe with me being, uh, I wouldn't say flash, but I'd, 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 been, I'd been lucky that I had a luxury from, from 8 to 19 I I played on some of the best pitches in the country. I, I, I facilities which were incredible. I played against some some really good players that went on to have great careers. Um, I went on loan to Banbury United and I hated every bit of minute of it. Just yeah, I just didn't like it. And that might sound a little bit snobby. Um, I probably really because I probably couldn't cope with it. To be fair, like just from mm. a fitness point of view. But when when Steve called me and said, "Look, something you'd be interested in," I, I live. 20 minutes from QPR's training round. Um, and I said, yeah, like, oh, I'd love to come back. And I ended up, um, I ended up doing nine years there. I'd done, I think, three or four years part-time. Um, and then when the, when the ECCP come in, uh, and obviously a lot more jobs got handed out to academy, uh, the academy side, I ended up getting the role of uh, head academy goalkeeper coach. So I was in charge from, uh, 23s all the way down to under nines from the from the goalkeeper side. Um, I spent oh, wow. nine okay. years there, and I, I loved it. Okay, so let, let's let's just delve into a bit more about the coaching. Who would you have coached during that time? Who who would you have worked with? Uh, I think the biggest name probably now is someone like uh, Joe Lumley, who's now number one at, at Middlesbrough. Yeah, um, we got Joe at 16 when he got released from Spurs. I ended up working with Joe for. Uh, Five years, five seasons. Um, we still speak pretty much every two, three days now. Mm. Uh, I remember my my first keeper that I got. Um, I was I was I was nineteen and he was sixteen. Um, a lad called Liam O'Brien, and there was a lot of noise about him as a as a young lad. Um, and I, I thought he was brilliant. And then at the time, Portsmouth were, were in the Premier League. Uh, he had a host of clubs um, looking at him, and he ended up signing for for money to go to Portsmouth, and he. He ended up playing uh, for England, I think, 18s and 19s. Um, he didn't play for Portsmouth, but he played a couple of times. He played quite a bit in the league for a number of clubs. He was like the first, my first goalkeeper um, yeah. that, I, that I pretty much walked into. Um, in terms of players that keepers that I worked with at the time, um, pretty much most of them went into have half decent non league careers. Mark Smith's still playing now, I believe he's at Woking. Um, Martin Herbman, Marcin, Marcin Brzezowski, Connor Hudnot, um, a, a boy called Gareth Dean who plays in the, the Northern Irish Prem, who was a, a Northern Ireland international, was a kid at QPR. Mm. Um, I remember one lad, Tommaso Trani, we, we signed him from AC Milan. He was a fantastic kid. And unfortunately, he actually passed away. Um, and he was, I think he was 21 when he passed away. Uh, which was, I remember being out in, um, I was actually out in Poland at the time because, uh, Marcin, who was uh, the youth team goalie at QPR, he um, he went on to represent QPR, uh, Poland, sorry. Um, and I remember being in a hotel room and um, I just watched Mar Marcin play. And Marcin was my my first international, so to speak, as a, coming through the academy. 
so I was in my hotel room and I was like buzzing with pride, bursting with pride. And I then got a phone call from, uh, I think it was Perry Stuckland. And he said, just, just to, you know, um, obviously I, I didn't work with Tommaso, but obviously you have Dean. I said, yeah, like, is he okay? And he, I got told he had died. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't, I still to this day don't really know what actually happened. I think mm. it was an illness. But I'd gone from oh, like right. one end of the spectrum going like, I'm in, I'm sat in my hotel and I'm buzzing. Like, mm. obviously you, you see your lad play for, and represent your country. And the next minute, you're told like, a lad you work with so closely has passed away. And I've, I, I'll be honest, I think I cried my eyes out in the hotel room. Yeah. Um, it's such That's a mixed understandable. Day. Yeah, it's a tough day. Yeah. Uh, but probably probably Joe Lumley is the one that I look at now and go like, he's he's the one that's still playing regularly in the, in the yeah. championship. Yeah. Let's, let's just delve a bit even more, even more now. Um, when you were head of under-23s to nines, um, this is obviously going to differ for every sort of person within that role. What were your main sort of five things that you looked for in a keeper? Because obviously you would have made decisions on, on like players' futures, uh, yeah. whether they whether they had a whether they had a career in the game with QPR or not. What were the sort of main five things you look that you looked for? Uh, obviously, you could, it's tough when you pick from a nine to a twenty-three. You hold five things. Um, yeah. This this. Um, Let's talk me, about um, as like a sixteen-year-old then. So you're uh, through obviously conversations about pros. What are the main five things you're looking for? Well, obviously they've obviously got to love the role they're in, love the job they have. Um, they've got to have a, a real um, desire to keep the ball up the net. Um, for me at the time, going back to when I was at QPRs and working with say the sixteens, then I think the goalkeeping world was just transitioning to uh, or evolving to more with their feet. Um, so we were looking at obviously the aspect of how good they are on the ball. Mm. Um, obviously, go back ten years previous to that obviously the, the game was slightly different and there wasn't mm. as much playing out from the back as that there is now. Um, yeah, a, des- a desire to to keep the ball out of the net, a real f- um, a real first uh, sorry a real um, a real desire um, wanting wanting to be better as as a, as a person as well. So looked you, you hear stories all the time about our oh, like. Say, for example, Beckham, he, he spent hours and hours and hours doing extras. Um, mm. Sometimes goalkeepers, like I hear goalkeepers, oh, no, we can't do any extras because we haven't got a coach to fire balls at us. Like, no, you, you can do extras. Uh, there's ways of there's ways of getting around it. Um, so I'd say a, a desire to, to keep the ball at a goal. Um, a 16-year-old that wants to, wants to play the way we want to play at the club at the time. Um, obviously... Airily dominates his, his box as much as possible. Yeah, um, is a exceptional shot stopper that can uh, make the big saves. Every, like when I hear kids say, "Oh, what's your strength as a goalie?" They all say shot stopping, and I always turn around and go, "Well, if you're not very good as a shot stopper, you're struggling if you're going to play in goal." <laughs> uh, when, when, I say, when I say shot stopping, uh, I, I mean has the ability to make that one save he needs to in a game. That either it, obviously first thing that it wins you the game or it gets you to a point. Yeah, uh, that's that's why I say when I say shot stop, has the goalkeeper got that ability to make that one top top save where he might have nothing to do for, for 89, 90 minutes and in an injury time he has to pull off an absolute worldie and everyone turn around and says like how how the hell did he make that save? That's yeah. that's what I look for. Um and as a sixteen year old, a big one that I don't think many people look into is when when you're sixteen you you might be able to train with the first team. Mm. Um so they've they've got to be able to deal with a uh, thirty two, thirty three year old season pro that's banged out 500 Premier League appearances. They have to have the ability to, to cope with that. They might have been out of school two months and they're, yeah. they're training with someone that's um, 
a top top player. Um, and I, I relate that back to to me as a coach. Um, I was lucky at QPR that uh, the co- the keeper coaches I worked with that were the first team uh, goalie coaches. Um, they they let me join in a hell of a lot with them. Um, and I, I remember a couple of times where, for example, I remember Kevin Hitchcock at the time was away, uh, I think he was on a course with the FA. Um, and I'd have been about 20, 25, I think I was. Um, and the head of academy at QPR said, oh, you, you, need to, you need to get yourself up to, to Harlington. You're, you're taking the first team today. And I went, sorry. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're taking the first team. Hitchcock is away. And I went, OK. And I, there's Rob Green. Rob Green was just come out of being England number one. Mm. And I'm driving from from Heston to Hartland thinking, I'm 25 years old, and I've now coached Rob Green and tell him what he should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and that's where, like, you talk about obviously the the, the mental side of the game, how, how much that can affect you now, and how much we delve into it as coaches. Uh, that was a that was an interesting five minute car journey where I was obviously testing myself, thinking like, this is what I've got to do, blah blah blah. And luckily, um, I escaped and I seemed to do all right because I stayed there for a few more years. Um, and I had the I had the same with uh, when they signed Julio Cesar. He, um, I was lucky that day one I was there assisting Hitchy, um, and I just remember him walking over thinking, "You just ooze class." Like, um, mm. I think I'd have been about twenty-seven then, and I might be a bit younger. And I was thinking, like, I'm working with a, a Champions League winner, a World Cup winner, um, and if I don't hit this shot where he wants it to go or where he, where I should be aiming, he might uh, he might not be too happy. Um, and that's. Uh, that's testing times when you're working with uh, Brazil number one and England number one, and, and you're 26, 27. That's uh, that's that's tough. That's tough as mm-hmm. and when you're in the academy as well, because you want to be accepted as a coach. And when you're a young coach that hasn't had the um, the career that you may maybe have wanted, um, you're always you're always up for I, I call it up for shooting down because a lot of people get jobs because they've had a top top career or a good career. Yeah. Uh, the, for me, not enough people get the the chance maybe because they haven't had that. Um, I'm lucky that I, I had a small career as a player, um, but I've I've delved out a career and I've worked hard for for where I am now. Um, Dino, there's a lot of people that have helped me along the way. Dino, did your um, did you ever feel your age um, may have stopped the pros from potentially not respecting you as much as if you were? say Kevin Hitchcock or you know or, or someone of that age did, did did you ever feel that your age was a bit detrimental for you no no um I'll be really honest and this is where um this is where I'm you've you've got to really back yourself um mm. I got to a point where when I was 23 24 or 25 and I got the opportunity to to go over and work the first team um I'd spent four years already as a coach at QPR and after during them four years I realized like I don't know what else I'm going to do with my life if I don't make it as a coach. I I, let, I got taken out of school early. I got a scholarship really early at Wickham. I left school in year 10. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I've done the worst thing ever. I totally pissed up my education. Um, because I got told a year early, I, I down tools at school. Because uh, yeah. I, I told everyone I'm going to be a footballer, as you can imagine. Um, it's the worst thing I've ever done. Um, but now, looking back, it's um, probably as a coach, it's why you try and help younger players to, mm. to say, look, it doesn't always work out the way it's going to be. Um, and I got to that time at 23, 24, 25, where I'm thinking, hang on, like, I'm in a, I'm in a full-time role where I'm in charge of goalies. This is where I want to be. Um, I, I want to be a first-team goalkeeper coach one day. Um, and I think because, obviously, I played and I obviously wasn't too bad, um, one, I can I can strike a half-decent ball. And I, I think 
they that's I think the senior pros that's the first time you strike a ball, regardless of your age. I think that's that's how you, that's how they, they test you because they say, oh yeah, he's, he's not bad. Yeah. Um, regardless of what you say to start with, the first the first um, shot they'll have at you is you striking the ball. Um, and if you strike it well, they'll go, okay, yeah, he's, he's okay. If you don't strike it well, they'll, I'll be honest, it's, it'll be tough. It'll be tough to survive, especially as a young coach. If you can't kick a ball and you're working with the first team, I, I don't think you'll be there very long, put it that way. Um, mm. And I just believe that I, I really back myself, even like I'm, um, I won't say I was Larry, um, <laughs> but I've, I'm self confident, Dino, self confident. Yeah, yeah I, I would. I would say I'm self-confident in terms of um, I'm happy in that environment. And that's the only environment I've known is, is football. Mm. Um, so for me, it wasn't a, a big change, even though I'm going over the road and I'm working with some top, top players. Um, a challenge every day for me was like even Hitchy. Hitchy, I sit next to a, a training ground. He would batter me every day. <laughs> but I knew that it, it was me being accepted. And it yeah. was a test. Yeah. And if you can't survive it, you, he, for one, he wouldn't let me train with him. Um, and Hitchy it's would not... put stuff on my toes every day, like what we're doing today. And I'm going like, well, you're the coach. He went, no, yeah, <laughs> you know exactly what we're doing today, so you better do it. And you're like, and that's how that's how football was. It's, it's changed a little bit now, um, but that, that's that's your acceptance in in that environment. It's um, yeah, it is it is fight or flight. It is tough. It is hundred percent. It's not an environment for everyone, it, it, and it, even even in non-league, it, you know, it, it can it can be. You know, if you're not built of a certain nature, it can be a bit tough. Yeah. And you end up, you know, leaving the game, don't you? Um, um, I've got friends obviously have played non-league, and these lads have played pro, and they said um, you you won't believe the way some players carry themselves in non-league. You'd think they've got oh, the World Cup and check yeah, themselves. Yeah, hundred percent. the ball in the in the league. Um, I've been, I've, I've never got to work with a, a non-league team because I've, I've come straight out of the game into the academy mm. side, so I've never got to work with. A team in the league, so I, I can't I can't speak for for myself on that aspect. But from what I'm hearing, it's um, it can be tough. <laughs> Put it that way. It's it got. Can. I think it's got worse non-league, but I, I'm not going to go into that. No. I could be here all day <laughs> talking about that. Dino, <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask, when you worked with Julio Cesar, what was that like, and what were the sort of main things you learned from him? Because that's like the real sort of high performance end of the game. Elite. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember. I remember him day one. Um, I remember him walking across the uh, the pitch, and I remember he's wearing a pair of Mizuno's. And the way he just even walked across, and I, I remember saying, so I can't, "It might have been Joe Lumley." I, I said to him, "He's either not bothered one bit about being at QPR, <laughs> or he's incredible." Uh, and he he was he was the latter. He he was incredible. Um, he was. I think it had been about. 35 at the time as a guess um yeah and just just see a different way of goalkeeping um obviously um, you your english background you're you're born and bred in in the way we, we might create goalies so to speak um he he didn't catch anything even in training um everything he, he parried um and when i say parried he, he didn't parry and it dropped in front of you he parried it a mile um and i remember saying to him one day like why, why do you why do you parry everything and he just turned around and said I'm, I'm never going to catch it in the game, so what am I going to do in training? And I thought, yeah, fair enough. Um, and he was he was incredible. I remember him, he done one exercise. Um, it was uh, he put a, he put two poles together. Uh, so can you imagine this? There's two poles. He's got a bit of tape, and he's taped up the poles together. But obviously, there's a gap, so you can jump in between. 
and he's taped it like waist height. And he's put these two poles a yard inside the post. So he stood right next to these poles. And he's telling me and Hitchy, right, you need to fire a ball from 12 yards into the top corner, so the opposite corner. So bear in mind, you've got seven yards to cover wow. to get to the outside. Um, and I went, okay, right. And it wasn't like a, a dolly serve. It was, I was smashing it as hard as I can. Yeah. And he took one step and he got over these poles and he got to the other side of the goal and made the save. And I, I was like, that's, that's, the, that's the best thing I've ever seen in terms of <laughs> as a young I'm, I'm looking at this going like, coming in. And I went, I, I actually did it. I went, I'm doing this. One, I just about got over the tape. And two, <laughs> I, I don't think I even covered half the goal. And this fella's 34, 35. And he just took one step and absolutely flew. Um, and I remember seeing that, and that, that was that was quite um, early on in the in the process of Julio Cesar. Uh, and I just remember seeing it going like, that's that's incredible. Like, I look at it going like, can you imagine what he was like at, at 24, 25? Yeah. He obviously got him towards the end of his career. Um, but you can tell, obviously, that's why he played so many games for Brazil and ended up playing in, in Champions Leagues and, and winning domestic titles in, in Italy and, and other countries. He was... He was a phenomenal talent. Um, just a shame we, I got to see him at younger, but really grateful, obviously, at the time, being at QPR, getting to see him and getting to work with him. Same with yeah. Rob Green. Rob no, Green of course. Him. Not many people can say they've worked with the World Cup, win the Champions League, win the Dino. So, um... <laughs> I wouldn't say I was working. I, I'm not serving, <laughs> but I <laughs> let's, let's just take it on. Um, MK Dons, obviously, Russell got the job there. How yeah. did that move come about to to go and join him <laughs> right so um i at the time i was um a long long story short i obviously left qpr i went to swindon done two and a half years at swindon's first team as a, a 28 year old at the time i then got offered a, a job in taiwan which is another story um <laughs> left taiwan after three months um and one of my friends is a, is a football agent who's based in manchester um and by the time i come back from um Taiwan, the season already started here. Uh, and he said to me, look, do you fancy a, a job with me? Uh, so I ended up working a year as um, basically finding talent for the agency. Um, but during that time, um, I met a lad called Stu Moore that I worked with at Swindon at the time, and he was at MK. And he, he rang me on, off, on an off chance. Uh, they were training at Bisham Abbey in pre-season. And he, uh, he said, look, I'm around the corner in Marlow. Um, come meet me for coffee. So I was like, okay, fair enough. So Went to Mitch Drew for a coffee and um, he said, oh, there's, um, there's a game going on at, at Bishop Abbey's Academy playing, I think it was Watford. Um, do you want to come have a look? I was like, oh, yeah, might as well. I've got nothing else to do on that day. Um, so mm. Mitch Drew went back to Bishop Abbey and um, I was watching the game. I got a tap on my shoulder and it was Russ. Um, and I said, to, I said to Russ, I completely forgot you were at MK. I didn't realise you were there. So that's the first time I'd seen Russ since um, probably maybe three or four years when we played, we played Norwich in the, um, I can't remember what cup it was now, the, the, um, I was at Swindon and it, and it was the, might have been the Football League Cup, can't remember, um, but he, he didn't play, he was, they played like a second string 11, um, so I spoke to him after the game, so that was the first time I'd seen him in maybe like four or so years, um, and we, we always joked um, early on when he, um, when he said to me one day he's going to be a manager, um, and I just said, yeah, I'll, I'll be your goalie coach, like, hand-on-cheek mm. comment, you know I mean? a tongue-in-cheek comment. Um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, that's, you're going to be my coach one day, blah, blah, blah. And we left we left uh, Bisham Abbey, um, I don't know, maybe 
two months later, six weeks later, mm. I get a, I get a text from Stu um, Saturday evening, uh, just letting you know your mate's got the the manager's job, and I was like, oh, right. And I text uh-huh. text Russ. I said, uh, congratulations, mate, brilliant, uh, good luck with the rest <laughs> of the um, he, he he texts me back, um, literally, honestly, I sent the message. It must have been ten seconds. Uh, I got a message back going. Um, I'll call you tomorrow. You know what it's going to be about. Uh, so I'm I'm sitting there with my missus, and I went. I think I'm going to get offered the uh, the MK job. Uh, and obviously at this time I had a year out of the game. I was working for the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved that um, I could go. To, it sounds silly, but when you're in football, you can't just go to to weddings. You can't just go on holiday with your mates. You can only go on holiday like in May and June. Um, yeah. So I remember talking to uh, my missus, going like, if he does offer me a job. Um, I don't know. I'm probably going to have to turn him down. Um, and my missus went, okay, well, it's up to you what you want to do. He rang, he rang me the next day, Sunday, and said, look, um, will, you, will you come in tomorrow and, and, and meet me? Um, I said, okay. So I went into, um, up to MK on the Monday, and he, uh, he said to me what they could offer. Um, and I said, look, to be honest with you, you're, you're a long way away from what I want for that. Um, I, I can't do it, mate. And I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, left there literally after probably about an hour with him, um, drove home, got home. He rang me back, come back again tomorrow. Um, there'll be a, there'll be a better, better offer for you on the table. So I went, okay, fair enough. So I went back up to MK the next day, um, sat down with the chief exec. He offered me less than the day before. So <laughs> I, just, I just said to him, look, I'll be honest with you. I like, I don't, I don't know if you realise, I won't say his name, he's a great fellow, the, the fellow that's, he's un, no longer there anymore, he's at another club, but I said to him, I don't think you realise, one, I'm not in desperate need for a job, I went, two, I've, um, I'm in the industry as it is, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm not an agent, I'm, I'm working for an agency, uh, and three, I, I know exactly what other goalkeeper coaches are on in the league, uh, mm-hmm. and he looked like, oh, like, I've, I've been rumbled here, so I shook his hands, look, good luck, all the best, I went downstairs to Russ, I said, Russ, um, I've said a few different words, maybe I don't know what on here, but I said he's offered me less than yesterday. Um, he went, oh, you're joking. I ended up, I left again. Um, heard nothing on the Wednesday. Um, but on the Wednesday, I actually text, uh, sorry, I actually rang my my boss for the agency. Uh, I said, Look, just to let you know, you, you're probably going to hear stuff. I went, um, but I have been offered the the MK Don's job twice now and I've turned it down. Mm. And he, yeah, he said, I have heard about it. Um, and he was brilliant with me. He, he knows I know, know Russ. Um, so Wednesday went, Thursday morning, I get a phone call from Russell. Can you come back up? I promise you, whatever you want, um, we'll get done. So I was like, okay, fair enough. I come up, went up, back up to MK on the Thursday, went to the stadium, met with uh, the chief exec at the time, uh, agreed it, agreed the deal. So I've gone, right, yeah, that's fine, I can do it. Um, I said to Russ, right, I've agreed the deal. Um, when, do you, when do you want me to start? And he went, well, we're training tomorrow. I went, I said, I've got like a three months notice period on my, on my job. Like I can't, <laughs> um, what I didn't realize at the time was, uh, he'd obviously spoke to my agency that I was working for mm. and he's got a, a close relationship with someone that worked at the, the agency. And he said, look, just to mark your card. Like, I think Dean could be coming. Is there any way we can like speed up the process? Um, I spoke to, to a fellow called James Featherston who owns Omni Sports and he was absolutely fantastic. He just said to me, look, um, he's your friend. I know you've got a desire to coach. Go, go do it like you leave with our best wishes um, and he was absolutely fantastic for me and the next day I was um, I actually took the training session without actually signing a contract because I was still waiting for it 
and then end up signing after the um, after the training session. And obviously, this Saturday was the first game. I think it was a it was an FA Cup game against Port Vale, and Port Vale obviously a league below, uh, yeah. and we lost. And I thought, oh no, what, what have we done? Um, and I think the fir- I think the first three or four games we lost at MK Dons, and I thought I might have had a I might have done the wrong thing here. But obviously, it's touch wood, it's it's worked out so far. Yeah, so definitely working together. Um, I just want to know had that then working with Russell, how how did that work? Because he he's got a very um, very attractive style of play. How how did that impact you then dealing with the goalkeepers? Was there any, any sort of set things he'd say? Look, this is how we want to go. Well, I, I I'm lucky that I've known Russ really well, um, and I, I knew the way he wanted to to be as a manager anyway. Um, the style he believes in, lucky enough, is a style that I believe in. Um, again, like I said earlier, I don't want to sound too arrogant, but I think I'm quite good with my feet for a goalie. Mm. Uh, and that's why I loved, um, I love playing outfield as well. But I, I think that um, I was quite capable, more than capable than, than average, I'd say, with my feet. Um, and the way we play here at Swansea is the way I wanted to play as a, as a younger goalie. And two, probably because if I took a goal kick, I probably couldn't boom it 70 yards. So I get 40 yards anyway. But um, yeah, it just worked hand in hand out in, in what we believe in. Um, I, I see it as the, the best way forward and obviously the best teams in the world. Like you go back to the way Barcelona's played years ago by and they, they always had goalies in, in different ways. And I link that back to, I was lucky I ended up playing a, a sport called futsal for England and I ended up being the England goalie there. And Linking it back to that, I actually, once I come out of the game of football, I played futsal for about two years. And I loved it because as a goalkeeper, you were so much more involved. Mm. Where go back to when I was a scholar or, or, or a young young goalkeeper, um, your your part of the game was right. You got a goal kick right. You're going to hit, I don't know, 20, 30 goal kicks in a game. You might have a couple of crosses uh, and you might have a couple of shots. Or some, <laughs> some games you might have nothing. That was that was mm. your, your game. Uh, where... The way we believe in now, you're, you're not just a goalie, you're the spare man. So if, you, um, if you've if you got the ball, you need to find someone who's the next spare man. So you have to take, not a risk, but you have to believe in and be capable of stepping into, I won't say unknown territory, but territory where the goalkeepers maybe not lived as much as in the in previous years as they have now. Mm. Um, that's why the way we play, I think we, the way we play is linked to having a, having a strong and capable goalkeeper. Um, and that's why we're, we're really lucky in the keepers that well, I've worked with so far with in Russell's time at MK and, and at, at Swansea um, that they're obviously more than capable in, in playing to the to the philosophy of Russell and the philosophy of the club uh, which links obviously in, hand in hand in, in how we want to play and how we want to move forward as a, as a coaching staff and, and as individuals yeah of course so would you know with with this sort of um, with this sort of evolution of, of like playing out from the back is there a lot more emphasis as a goalkeeper coach on things like first touch, not only first touch, but first touch under pressure in like a tight space. Is there a lot of emphasis on that? Do you do a lot of work? Uh, yeah, um, we do. We do a hell of a lot of work on it. And it's, we probably actually do more that side now than the actual general goalkeeping. Um, but that, that links into to how we work as a club at Swansea. Like for example, it, going back to the old school routine where it used to be you, you're with your goalie coach or you might not even had a goalie coach you might just work together as goalkeepers you do half hour 45 minutes an hour whatever you do and then you go in with your team we do stuff here where they, they might start with me they, they go into a 
a passing practice or a possession or a, a phase of play with the team that might then come back to me to then go back again. Um, and we try and incorporate them as much as we can. Um, mm. Obviously, if we're, if we're saying to the goalies, they've got to be more than capable of their feet. Well, if you don't, uh, if you don't live it on a day-to-day basis, when it comes to a match day, when it's the hardest time, you, you're never going to be able to perform or you're never going to be able to play your way out of trouble because you don't get to see the the problems and you don't get to see the solutions from from doing making the problems. Um, we've always said as a staff, that, um, and this is where Russell's brilliant with the goalies, if you if you get caught playing out from the back it's, and we concede, it's not your fault, it's, it's mine, it's Dino's, it's Gillies, it's the coaching staff. We've mm. we told you to play. Um, if you tell, I see all the time, not even at younger age groups and academies, they tell the goalies they want to play out from the back. The goalie gives the ball away, they, they scream and shout at the keeper. And you're like, well, you, you've told them you want to play. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's having that trust with the keepers that they they know that if they make a mistake, listen, at our, our level, if we lose, it, it, it costs jobs. Like we, mm, yeah. we know that. But we've always said, listen, if if you're going to get sacked at any point, which you will, we will do at some point, that's just the way of the world of football. Mm. I'd rather get sacked playing the way that we want to play than getting sacked for, oh, no, don't, don't take any risks. Let's just, let's just lump it up the pitch 70 yards. And this is what we spoke about earlier, Jamie, about um, the sacrifices you make as a, as a professional footballer, as a kid trying to be a professional footballer. I, I'd never understand, and I, I never will, why, for example, if you're a right-back, you're more than capable of being able to play football. You've made it to, to be a professional footballer. You mm. get the ball, and your job in, in the game is to get it and crash it 70 yards in the channel. You've given up your whole youth to get to that first team stage. You get the ball and you get told to smash it down down the line. For for what reason? That, that's that's not a footballer. Anyone anyone can get the ball and smash it seventy yards down the line. Mm. I've never mm. understand why we we have an, a way in the world where we we play like this. I, I, I don't get it. And I know that um, I know I know you use for Wickham. I know they they don't mind crashing. <laughs> but, I was waiting for this. But on that, <laughs> respect, Respect to Wickham, at least they stick to their guns and they they want to play that way, which yeah. is I totally under, I totally get and I totally understand and I, I love Gaz Gaz is a, is a grand, uh, fantastic fellow and so is Dobbo, um, but they believe in that which is fine and there's no right or wrong way, um, but it's when you get told ah oh, yeah we want to play we want to play and then when it gets tough they end up hitting it seventy yards sixty yards they so they're not believing in the way they want to play. Yeah. Then they want to play for the sake of it, and um, that's why that's why as a staff we really respect Gaz and his staff because they they say this is the way we want to play, which is fine. But for me and my, only my opinion, I, I just don't get why why you'd want to give up all them years of of missing out with with family events and friends events and holidays, and you get the ball and you get told right, yeah, you've got to boot it seventy yards, and you might not touch the ball again for another fifteen minutes. I, I don't understand it. That's mm. that's just my my belief, yeah. my values. There's no right or wrong, wrong way to win a football match, um, but as a goalie and linking it out to the outfield players, you want as much touches on the ball as possible. It's a short game; you, you don't get enough touches anyway in a 90 minutes match. Well, mm. one if if you've got the ball, two the opposition have got to run, and it's the worst thing ever when a team keeps the ball and you've you've got to run yeah. and you're not anywhere near it. Um, but if you're crashing it, it's a game of basketball and. For me, it's a toss of a coin. What could happen at the end of end of the game? Exactly. Um, just talking about your philosophy, how it sort of beds in with Russell's. It obviously works. You know, you're obviously very successful at MK Dons. Um, earned yourselves a move to Swansea. Um, when you get that sort of move, um, 
is it just like a given that you're going to follow Russell? Do you know what I mean? Like he he gets off with the job. Is it like normally you see backroom teams follow the manager? Yeah. Um, no. Um, I think it's just a it's a case by case. Um, when obviously at MK we we heard the rumours that he was, he was being linked. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not just working with Russ. Russ is a close friend of mine for, for years. We speak a hell of a lot away from, from football as well. Um, I knew it was going on in the background. Um, he told me he wanted to take me, um, another member of staff, or two, another member of staff, uh, two other members of staff, sorry. So there had been four of us that would go at some point if it, if it all worked out and they wanted to do it. Um, I knew that at the time. It ended up being six of us left MK to go to just mm. Swansea. Uh, no, it's it's not a given. Um, as I said, it's a case by case where um, the club he you're going to they they might want to to keep a, a number of the staff. I know that here mm. at Swansea um, they had a, a great goalkeeper coach in the England goalie coach Martin Markson. Um, that if I was I was coming in, um, he, he the club wanted to keep him. Um, and I yeah. believe he wanted to stay at the time um, for different reasons. Um, we never got to work together. He he chose to, he chose to leave. Um, I obviously come in. Um, I'd have liked to to work with him, but I appreciate that it's it's really tough when obviously see other people come in to to not fill your position. I, I wanted to work together um, mm. for for my de- development as well. Like I, I'd have been working with the the England goalkeeper coach, but listen, it, it can get messy sometimes. Obviously, if if my beliefs of goalkeeping are different to, to Marge's beliefs, then the goalies are going to get mixed messages. And like yeah. I said, I'd love to work with him, but unfortunately it, it didn't happen. But that's that's the way in the world of football. Um, would I would I like to have gone with Russell? Of course, because he's, he's my pal, and I believe yeah. in I believe in him as a person. Um, I'd have been extremely disappointed that I I give up a career in what I was doing to to go with Russ. If Russ would have gone to Swansea and, and left me at MK, I'd have I'd have been gutted, of course. I'd have carried yeah. on like normal, like as a professional coach you are. Mm. Um, but if would I just sit here now and go Russell the top man? Probably not. Yet. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's just the way of football. It's, it is different. Um, I think obviously the higher up you go, Championship, Premiership, you've got a better chance. If the if a club really wants the manager, the manager's got a, a bit of pull where he can yeah. bring in uh, a number of different people. Lower leagues, League One, League Two, Conference. Um, no, uh, at Swindon, I had um, I, I had Luke Williams, I had David Flickcroft, I had Phil Brown, uh, and I I took a game with Matty Taylor for for one game as a, mm. as Matty was the interim boss. So I I'd, I had four uh, three managers there or four managers there. One was a player coach um, at QPR in the academy. I think if I had to guess on nine years, including uh, interim managers, I think I think I worked out that I think I had 22 managers in nine years at QPR. Oh, God, yeah. uh, and I think in that time, I had said four different goalkeeper coaches, maybe five off the top mm. of my head without remembering people's names, without not saying their yeah. names. I had, I had David Rouse, Kevin Hitchcock, Paul Crichton, Gavin Ward, uh, I'm hoping I haven't missed anyone out there. Goalie, <laughs> worked with. If I did, I apologise. Um, yeah, so I, I, in in nine years, I had five first team goalkeeper coaches and yeah. however many uh, however many first team managers. When you went to Swansea, did did you feel that you had to sort of up your game, or was it just like you know 
it's you know whatever we've done at MK Dons is working. We should carry on our our like philosophy. Or or was that sort of sense right now? We're up to a we're up to a bigger club. You know from former Premiership team. Do we need to up it? Uh, I think you always think that when you when you get a, a new club that's in a in a higher level, you're always thinking about one how how good the players are. Um, is there going to be a big difference? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't get a lot of time to think about it because the the actual day we agreed, which was a Sunday, um, Saturday night, we sorry Saturday Saturday morning, um, I'm in the hospital. Sorry, Friday night Saturday morning, I'm actually in the hospital. My my missus is is due to give birth. Um, so I'm in hospital Friday, Saturday morning. Um, I get told to leave the hospital um, and we were still at MK at this time. Mm. And we play Bournemouth that afternoon in the, uh, in the Cup, the League Cup. Um, and I said to my missus, what, what should I do? Should I stay at home or should I, um, should I go to the game? And I said, look, I'd, I'd like to go to the game because it's a strong possibility that we could be going to Swansea. Um, my missus was brilliant. said, yeah, go to the game. So I actually drove to Bournemouth from, from Maidenhead took the game. We ended up losing, I think, 3 or 4 nil in the Cup. And it was a, such a strange day because they got, we'd gone from an MK fan singing Russell's name to news being told that Russell's leaving that day to go to, to Swansea. So it was, um, oh, he'd gone yeah. from being, he'd gone from yeah, being a hero from the MK fans to um, a few choice names, put it that way. Mm. I ended up then going back to Maidenhead, um, knowing that my missus was due to go into hospital again Saturday night. To give birth Sunday morning, uh, Russell and, and Luke are on the way to Swansea to agree terms. I'm actually um, in hospital. My, my missus gave birth to my little girl. Uh, so the same day uh, we agreed to go to Swansea, I'm actually on my phone going through my contract, uh, making sure my missus is all right with obviously giving birth. <laughs> um, to, Who says men to, can't multitask? Eh? It, oh, mate, it, was, it, was, it was a strange day. And and I was, I was still, I was, I was gutted that I was leaving MK. I really mm. was because I loved the people that I worked with there. We, we, Russell built such a good team. Yeah. Mm. And this year, we, we really believe that um, we could have really gone on to doing really good things there. And listen, they, they, they are now anyway. And that's, that's, we know that Russell's part of that. Yeah. Um, and that's why they're doing fantastically well in the league, and we, mm. we hope they get promoted. Um, but going back to your point, uh, Richard, I, I didn't really have much time to even think about it. And I remember driving down. My first day um, was the actual Friday, the day before uh, day one of the season. Mm. So I drove down from uh, Maidenhead to Swansea. I'd actually walked into the building and the, uh, Ben Hamer, uh, the goalkeeper, had to walk out of the building. He had COVID. So he, I didn't see him for the first 10 days. So my day one was uh, a session for probably half hour with the goalies before they went with the team. And then we then we flew to Blackburn because we were playing Blackburn the next day, opening game. Oh season. yeah! So I we had no well, Russell had three days working with the team. I had I had half an hour, mm. um, so I had actually no time to really prepare in terms of, um, and it might be a good thing that I didn't overthink anything because obviously I'm I'm at home with my missus, my little little girl's two, three, four days old. Um, I'd been flown into to Swansea to to take a session to then. Being up in in Blackburn for for day one the preseason, um, obviously you, you do your homework. Like when I was when the little one was asleep, I was watching as much as I can of obviously Ben Hamer, Stephen Bender, Lewis Webb, the, the goalies at the time in the uh, in the first team. Um, you're also trying to watch what they've done the previous seasons, and it, it, it was a whirlwind because you try and do as much as you can. Mm. Um, 
with, with getting probably as little sleep as possible. Um, but yeah, uh, I think looking back at now, it's probably a good thing that I didn't overthink anything. I didn't worry about obviously work with Ben's. I think Ben's about six months older than me. Yeah. So I, uh, and I played against Ben as a, as a kid when I obviously at QPR on Wickham and he was at Reading. Um, so you're going in thinking, I didn't go in thinking I'm working with someone who's the same age as me and I've got to tell him what to do, X, Y, and Z. I'm actually going in there thinking like, I've earned this. I've worked so hard. I've been coaching now for, for 15, 16 years. It's not like it's my first job. Um, I'd like to think that I've, I've got a, a good idea about goalkeeping now. Um, mm. And for luckily it, it's worked out in, in where we, where we are now as a club. Um, obviously not a lot of people know what's, what goes on behind the scenes at football clubs, but for us mm. where we are now, it's exactly the same as our first year at MK. Um, it's transition with money. It's completely different budget to what, what they've had previously. Um, we're dealing with uh, a lot off the pitch than on the pitch right now. Um, and that's just the way of the world. So we're, we're really early into the process. Um, we know exactly where we are as a club and as a staff. And we know that um, obviously when we when you come to a new club and you want to change a way of playing, there is going to be a lot of heartache and there is going to be uh, a few people moaning and whinging about results but we know that takes time mm. um, and that's like how we look at MK now we had three windows at MK where we got in the players that we wanted to start this season it was Russell's first so to speak group is his own team uh, and now they're flourishing and they're, they're doing brilliantly uh, and this is going to be similar to Swansea there's, there's always going to be players that one unfortunately can't play the way uh, Russell wants to play um, two they might not want to play the way the club want to play uh, and that takes time and you, you can't just turn, tell people where well, you've got to give everyone an opportunity and obviously you have to wait for, for transfer windows to get the players you, you might want or the, the players that, that don't want to be they have to leave um, we, we got what two two weeks of a window in the summer um, and then obviously January um, January was tough because uh, obviously it's our first season um, we're probably pretty much middle of the road where we couldn't go up and we couldn't go down so from an owner's point of view, they're obviously looking to obviously save a little bit of money for the for the start of next season, where they mm. they're really going to have a go and back us. I mean, to be honest, there's quite a lot of comparisons with the way that it sort of started at MK and started in Swansea on the pitch, because it's going to take time for Russ to yeah. put in that style of play. Yeah. Um, because I mean, Blackburn didn't get off to the greatest of starts, and then no. but. Like you said, you had three days. If if Russ had three days, maybe mm. with a team to to implement the way he wanted to play, like he did at MK yeah. or similar to MK, was going to be difficult. And you can't get that across in three days. Don't care who you are. No, and you, 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 I, you even if you're Pep Guardiola, you, you, no, you, you're you, not going to get. You, and you got to remember, it's um, with respect to the the previous manager of the club at Swansea. Um, he he knew he was going um, in pre season. Um, so the players didn't really have a, a proper pre-season because the manager was left two weeks prior to the season starting. Mm. Um, so from a, from a fitness point of view, I mean, no one's saying they run fit, but the way you play, you you have to have a certain amount of fitness to play the way we want to play. Yeah. And they, because they've never played that way before, you're, it's going to take time. And that's 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 the build-up of having a good pre-season. That's why as managers, as, as coaches, in terms of recruitment, you, you want your players done really early on, either end of the season for the start of next year or really early on into pre-season where you can get six, seven, eight weeks with a group 
you can implement your style, you can implement your philosophy, um, and you can have a real structure. And, and the players get to know each other really well. Where we had, Russell had three days. I had half hour yeah. to to get my my way across uh, of the way I want to coach, and obviously the way the role of the goalkeeper at the club is. Um, MK was slightly similar, I suppose, in the aspect that we we didn't have a pre-season. We joined during a season, so the, the task was to, mm. to keep them up. I don't think I don't think many people remember, but when when we actually joined MK, I think we were second bottom. We might have even been bottom of the league mm. uh, when we joined the club. Um, and Russell during that time, um, MK had the chairman there decided that he wanted a model of uh, sell players for value. Um, if I ask you a question. Do you think you better get it regarding MK? A little quiz question. Yeah, go on, try us. Before Russell joined uh, the club as a manager at MK, who was the last player to be sold at MK prior to Russell joining? Ooh. Sold? So, yeah. Okay. I mean... Uh, it wasn't... Um, what's his face? Yeah. He went Celtic, was it? Matt Riley? Yeah. Now, this is, now, obviously, that's, that's Russell signing. Prior to Russell being a manager, who was the last player to be sold at the club by MK? And I believe I'm writing this, if I'm writing this, this answer, if I'm wrong, I apologise. But prior to Russell getting a job, um, right. in terms of I what mean, he built as a club and as, and as, as a, a build on the players that he, he brought in and sold, and currently now he, he sold a few players. The last player to ever get sold at MK was Delhi Alley. Yeah. Delhi? Oh, yeah. Delhi Alley. Delhi Alley. So during that time, you've got to remember, he's had, uh, he had two, two years at the club at MK, his first two years as a manager. He'd saved the club from going into a, a real bad way in terms of, obviously, COVID had hit during this time. So yeah. financially, every club was getting hit really hard. Um, and in that time, he turned over, um, quite, I don't know the exact number, but let's put it this way, it's a few million pounds which the chairman uh, earned from Russell from player sales. Uh, and in that time, he's built a, a team that's doing incredible now. Uh, he's built play, he's built in players where, for example, Matt, Matt O'Reilly had a, a long-term contract at Fulham. Um, and he chose to, to walk away from, and I'll be honest, the numbers he, he was getting at Fulham were frightening. He, he turned that down to earn a, a tenth for what he could have got at MK, just because he believed in the way Russell wanted to play. Mm. Uh, and we ended up signing him from, from Fulham. And now they sold him, obviously, to, to Celtic, and he's, he's flying. Um, but this is why we, we talk about the philosophy and, and the style, because we got to a point MK where really early on in the process, um, people could see well, the way you want to play and hated playing the way you want to play. And players after the game, win, draw or lose, players will come up to us after the game saying, oh, can we come and sign for you next year? The, the way you're playing is incredible. And we, we were loving it, but when you lost, you felt, are they just saying that? Um, yeah. And when when you go through the process, you actually think, oh, like, no, they, these lads generally want to be here. Um, and it ends up recruitment-wise. That's why they recruited so well at MK. People, the younger players, they brought in like Harry Darling, Warren O'Hora, even Andy Fisher, the goalie. Um, trying to think, like, uh, Troy Parrott only come to MK because of, of Russ. Scott mm. Twine only come to MK because of Russ. Twine, yeah. I worked with Twine, obviously, at, at Swindon. Um, so these players were lucky that uh, Liam Sweet and got got in and, and done a great job bringing them in, um, and it's happening now at Swansea. Start the first year in Swansea, every team we play, there's always one or two players come up after the game and go, "You're the best team we've played. What's uh, what, what's the chance of me being with you next year?" 
and it's it's like MK all over again, but just on a on a different scale. Can you throw us any names easy. there? Can you throw your names? No, he's not going to throw any names. <laughs> I'm not going to throw any names right now because Russell absolutely batter me. <laughs> um, but that that's credit to Russ and you guys and and, and obviously um, Luke and, and and stuff like that. Obviously, um, so well, I want to move on slightly because I don't want to press the time. So um, let's move on to actual goalkeeper coaching in itself. Yep. Uh, and the art of goalkeeping. And then we're going to move on to a few quick fire questions that Rich has at the end that he likes to do. No right. So um, <laughs> explain to me how you base your goalkeeper coaching. So, you know, what kind of model do you use? Um, do you use, like, say, the five corner model and, and, and base it around that? Uh, yes, yeah, so obviously, I've, I've been brought up through the FA where you're, you are yeah. the five corner model, the tech, the tech technical, psych, social, physical. Um Obviously, from from the goalkeeper point of view, it's it's a little bit different when you're at you're at first team level because um, you're obviously, especially in the level I found now in championship, where you're churning out games like two, three games a week. Um, yeah, you're 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 obviously looking from a, a goalkeeper point of view. I, I look at obviously the, t- the t- opposition that we play um, from a goalkeeper coach point of view. I also do set pieces with the team as well. So okay. me me and Matt Gill will do our defending and attacking set pieces. So. Um, you're obviously spending time looking at opposition a lot. Uh, the way I build up a, a coaching, a goalkeeper coaches side of it is, I'll look at obviously the way type of goals that teams score. Obviously, you're trying to do as much individuality as possible for what each goalkeeper needs. Um, obviously, some some one obviously your number one's playing week in week out, so you're, you're trying to manage his load, his work. Um, also, getting in everything he actually needs. Or you think he, he needs to work on? Obviously, you're managing your your number two and your number three, and in what they need as well, and make sure they they're getting game minutes. Um, you obviously do link it to the to the five corner model. It's just how how much in depth you go to. Like yeah. technical and tactical is is massive. Um, obviously, the the physical side of it, we're, we're really lucky that obviously the the facilities and the finances we've got here, we've got uh, obviously a big team in the sports science department uh, and the physios uh, that do a great job for us that obviously we link in into on a daily basis, where, whether it's meetings or them obviously leading that side of the game for, for us. Um, I'll be really honest, I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to designing a, a physical session for, for these lads. Mm. Um, I went, Obviously, when I played, it was a little bit different. We had one physio and, and the rest was good luck. We had, we had big Terry Evans, Really? Yes, big Um So obviously the, these guys are, are much more qualified than uh, than me when it comes to, to that side. Um, social side of it, I'd say, I'd, I'd, and the physical, uh, the psychological side, I'd like to say that as a coach, you will obviously always go back to your experiences as a coach or as a player that you've mm. that's happened uh, or the situations you you've seen progress, and you you know exactly how to to work from that. Um, managing players' expectations is is tough. Um, it sounds it sounds really easy being a goalkeeper coach because when people say, "Oh, what do you do?" I you just hit a few half volleys at them a day. <laughs> you don't trust me. Is uh, we do so much work off the pitch um, here at Swansea with with what we do because we we do we do work really hard. And, and Russell's a big believer. Obviously, everyone's a big believer. In the more the more you work. The harder you work, the more you get. Not, hasn't got to be obviously for for hours and hours and hours. But obviously, if you if you work clever, um, and obviously we want to give this a, a real good go at Swansea to 
get them to the Premier League. We we want to be successful as coaches. The club mm. want to be successful. So you've got to give absolutely everything. Um, but yeah, as a, as a goalkeeper coach, you're you're working on exactly what you feel the keepers need that time. Mm. Um, if you're working on, obviously, I do a lot of opposition stuff. Um, you're trying to manage the the load that they they might have for that week. Obviously, that's when you link into the the sports science boys who have the obviously the GPS and all the, every, all the stats now. Where we're lucky, we can walk in from a uh, from training and then on my laptop I, I'd already have uh, training that's been clipped from the goalkeepers what they've done that day I would have uh, a, a a lot of information on how much they've cut how much grass they've covered how many mm. dives they've got um, mm. if they need a top up on this or this is where they are um, and obviously we, we review training a lot um, I'll, I'll be honest I, I put a lot of my sessions on social media Um and this is because, as I link it to the to the goalkeepers again, the goalkeeper coaches especially, um, there is a there is a GK union. Uh, we all work together. Um, we we speak to each other a lot, and we always want to get each other's ideas on on how and, and why you coach like this. Um, mm. I'm I'm lucky that I've I've got to to see on first hand some top keepers working. Um, mm. Also. Some coaches might might not get that chance to, to work with certain players, so they need to see what uh, first team goalkeeper coaches do or first team players work on. Um, and that's not just for me as like a, a selfish side where I want to I want to brand myself as like the next up and coming top goalkeeper coach. And I'm, I'm not trying to do that at all. I just want to put sessions out there and listen. I'm open yeah. for, for people to come back to me and go and critique it if they need to and say, look, or even ask me why did you do this, or and I'll give them my my honest answer. Um, there's other, obviously other goalkeeper coaches that I know that are doing doing similar. Um, I just think that's the that's the way we learn. Um, obviously, being really honest and about putting the the goalkeeper side down. If it was rocket science, I definitely wouldn't be the one here talking about yeah. goalkeeping. Uh, and it's it's a way of finding being a successful player where you can deal with obviously the pressure of playing in front of fifty, sixty thousand. It's a finding a way of keeping the ball out of the net, like I said back earlier, where you've got that desire to keep it out. And as a goalie coach, you want to do everything you can for for that goalkeeper because it, it can be a real, real lonely place. If you're if you're not winning uh, or you're having a bad day, you got to remember yeah. when the outfield boys having a bad day, we get them out of trouble because we'll we'll make that save. We'll, we'll hopefully get them out of trouble. Or if you're having a bad day and the crowd are onto them, they can run round. The keepers can't. The keepers, yeah. the keepers are 10,000 behind their goal, calling the next one's head. And you've got to stand there and take that abuse. And that's that's tough. And it's it's lonely when you're you're having a bad day. Uh, and that's why as goalkeeper coaches, I'd say you're their coach, you're their, you're their father, you're their brother, you're absolutely everything to them during that week, month, year, until they go on holiday and you see them again. And it's um, you're, you're, you're their fam- your family. Your family, mm. as, a, as a goalkeeper side, it's, it's family. Like you, you'll do everything you can for for your goalies. Um, and I think the best coach, goalkeeper coaches that I've seen and worked with are the ones that are, are really honest with their with their goalies, uh, and they will tell them not what they want to hear at sometimes, but they'll tell them the truth, why they're getting dropped, why they should be doing this, how they can improve. They're the they're the top goalie coaches for me. Uh, there's a list of names I could throw out there. I don't want to embarrass anyone, um, but there's a, there's a hell of a lot of good goalkeeper coaches out there, and I'm, I've I've one that I've got to say that I've got a hell of a lot of learning to, to still do and grow as a as a young goalkeeper coach. I'm still learning the game myself. I've never been at the mm. championship before as a goalkeeper coach, and I'm 
I'm really honest on that. Um, I can only put my down my experiences to, to help them. I've, there's look, you were saying about the social media and the, and the clips that you put on, but there's, there's the one thing I've always found because obviously I've, I, I, I did some coaching, I was a head coach, etc., and stuff like that. And I did put on the odd goalkeeper sessions because I found the goalkeeper sessions always more fascinating. Yeah. I just felt yeah. like, do you know what I mean? Like that, yeah, yeah. And the ones that you see online, um, like England are very good for it for putting on their yeah, goalkeeper Martin, like, Martin clips. does it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Dave Watson used to be. Dave did, yeah, Dave did it before. He was great. Yeah, yeah, he was great. I always yeah, felt yeah. he would. Um, so, yeah, no, like, yeah, I know you're on about now. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I just always, when, I'm, when I watch them, I always think, oh, that's brilliant. Just And the, the, the thing you say about keeping the ball out of the net is what I suppose you, you guys work on a hell of a lot in terms of second phases and second saves. Oh, of course, and, yeah, there's, there's always... And, um, and, and every... the deflections and... Exactly. There's, there's always a method to the to the madness, and yeah. sometimes it, it can look like organised chaos. Yeah. Um, but you'll 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 be surprised in if I said to you, right, um, the session tomorrow is this. I, it'll probably take me a good twenty five minutes to explain exactly why we're we're doing this in terms of in mm. depth. To we're not just going out there to hit a few volleys at their hands or to try and score a goal top bin against the goalie to say, look, you've got to do this. But there's so much. Um, so much detail and process that goes into a, a session, especially at the top level, because um, if you're if you're a young goalie coach and the, you're working with an experienced pro, they will soon work out uh, he's just doing this because he's comfy and it's an easy session for him. The best ones will will challenge challenge the goalkeepers. They'll put on session. They'll, they'll come out of their comfort zones. Um, I've, I've done that a lot, like set pieces for me. Like I, I never really wanted to ever tread on the outfield players' toes ever. I, I for me I would just want to do goalkeeping. That was me, that was me done. And then Russ said, no, come on, like you've um you're you're good at talking, you're good at speaking to people. Like, come on, like come out of your comfort zone. And this is where I really respect Russell. Not this is my friend. He he's a I'm not saying this because I work for him, but he's um he's a top, top coach and he's yeah. been a man for three years and he's what well, I don't want to I don't want to say he's the best manager that I work with because I know that he would, he'd have a go at me, but he's um, he's definitely up there, and I, I think he could be. Um, I, oh, I, he'll go to the top. I think he'd be a top Premier League manager. No, yeah. I'm not just saying that because I, I, I work for us. I, the way he is as a, as a person, the way he is, he thinks 100%. about the game, the way he, he tests his, his players, um, he's really driven as a as a player and a manager, and that's why he he, he had a hell of a, a successful career out. I hope you don't mind me saying this. I've, he was a good player, but if you'd have said at 16, 17, when I first met him, he'd go on to be an international player, uh, the most mm. capped player in the Premier League for Norwich. Being brutally honest, I'd have probably said, oh, I don't think that would happen. He has because he's he's such a driven person and he, he maximises absolutely everything. And I've, I've learned a hell of a lot from it as a, as a person, as a coach. Mm. Um, and when I say we spend hours at training ground, we don't just sit there hours just because it's, it's something to do. We we plan for the next day, the next week, the next month, next scenario. Uh, we do recruitment. It's um, it's a long it's a long day, um, but it's something that I'm I'm really proud of where we are as a as a staff. I'm really proud of the club we're now at at Swansea. Um, really grateful to the opportunity that we're, we're getting at the club. Um, but listen, we we believe in ourselves and we believe that we can get Swansea to to where they want to be. And I I think now in recent results. The um, 
you've seen it obviously the the double has never ever been done yeah. against Cardiff in the history which is incredible 110 years Russell's done it in in, in season one um, if he'd have told me at the start what? of the season could he have done it of course he would have I had no doubt he, he would have done it and, and a cracking result at Millwall midweek as well that was I felt I'd love to take um, I'd love to take a little bit of credit but for them <laughs> last two games uh, I've been banned and I couldn't even go to the match brilliant <laughs> So, yeah. Um, I, just going back on Russ, and, and the reason why, not probably the reason why I believe he will be, because I think he will be a top, top manager, and I think he will be a Premier League manager as well. Um, I heard him on the Training Ground Guru podcast, yep. and I, I was fixated on it. Absolutely loved every second of, of listening to him speak. So I can understand why players buy into what he wants and what he does, and, and you guys as well, his staff and stuff like that. Um we're going to move on because time's getting on. Um, no Rich, you crack on, mate, with these. Yeah, just a few quick fires, Dino. Um, no let's worries. start with, um, you know, I, I just want your first answer off the bat. Um, in your <laughs> opinion, who should be England number one? Off the bat, no doubt about it, Jordan Pickford. Okay, interesting. I'm ever, um, I'm just quickly. I knew he was going to say that because I knew you were in Everton. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, is that because of the style of way England play? Well, or do you believe he's a better... I'm not going to go well, down that People say like, he's better than it's Nick strange. People, people keep going on about lately how many mistakes he makes. When, when was the last time he made a mistake for Everton? I, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember. But, and when was the last I. time he made a mistake for England? I, I, I generally don't know. Yeah, um, 100%. And it's, it's, it's a man... If, if he was... It sounds strange. If he was a foreign goalie, everyone would say how good he is. Um, and this is where we go back to the, Brit- the British media. Like we we deal with this side a lot. I don't want to go back to obviously. I don't want to crack on to other points. But the way we yeah, play, yeah. if we mm. make a mistake playing out from the back, it gets highlighted so much. If a goalkeeper takes a goal kick, smashes it seventy yards, they score from it. Nothing ever gets said. Uh, with, with Jordan Pickford, um, I'll just be honest. I don't think there's many out there that are playing week in week out that can really test him. Uh, Dean Henderson, I think, has got a or had a real good chance, but unfortunately isn't playing at Man United. Yeah. Um, Aaron Ramsdale's obviously kicked right on, uh, and I'm, he's got a hell of a chance of playing for England at some point. Mm. Um, and I, I remember speaking to my, my friend works with Sky Sports, and I remember when Aaron Ramsdale was on loan at Chesterfield, he made a mistake, um, and the media absolutely battered him. It, the Sky Sports News were doing on repeat how bad this goal. He, he was he was 17, I think, at the time playing for Chesterfield. Uh, and they put it on repeat, put it on repeat. The same day, Cla- uh, Claudio Bravo done the exact same thing for Man City. Nothing got said at all. And he's playing for Man City. And I text my mate at Sky and I said, this lad's 17. He's English. He's playing in the Football League. He's on loan from, uh, I can't remember he was on loan from at the time, where he started now. Oh, Sheffield United. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking, hang on. Like, why, why are you battering this kid who's English, but the, the lad who plays for Man City who's a foreigner, nothing, nothing's getting said. And his answer was, Dean, um, I've been told like we've got to do it. And I'm thinking, what chance have like the English players got yeah. getting through when they get absolutely battered by the media? I agree. Um, yeah. Nick Pope, Harry, I think, Harry Maguire, Payson. Oh yeah, there you go. Nick Nick Pope, I think, has got um, has done brilliant to be at a top level, and he's been there for a few years, and I think he's been absolutely fantastic for uh, for Burnley. Um, personally, I don't think he's good enough with his feet to mm. be that top level. Um, to play for England, and that's that's the way England want to play. That's up to them. If they yeah. want to go a little bit more direct, Nick Nick Pope's a, a good solution. Um, 
But right now, I just don't think there's anyone really challenging Jordan Pickford that's playing week in, week out in the Premier League or at a, a top, top level. And that's, yeah. that's fair. Never, never let his country down. Anyway, mm. move on to the next question. Sorry. Um, that, 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 was one, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was me, to be fair. Sorry. Yeah, it was you. Uh, we'll let you off. Best keeper in the world, Dino? Oh, God. Well, right now? Or... Right now. You you can sign them for Swansea. Who are you having? God. If you had can I sign myself? That's throwing me that. As, um, I really like Oblak at Atletico Madrid. Oh, okay. same here. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Good shout. Go. Um, and I'll end with this one. What boots do you wear, Dino? Adidas Predators. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. I was hoping you'd be like a Puma King man, but all right. Puma, yeah, oh, you just joking. wish everyone would. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they retired for me about 95, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not a Puma man at all. <laughs> nice one. Top man, Dino. Should we wrap Lovely. up there, Jambo? Yeah. Yes, mate. Yeah, plenty of time. Yeah. Um, Dino, thank you very much. Good luck to you, Russ, um, and, and everyone at Swansea. Uh, for the rest of the season. You're obviously sitting nicely in some good form as well. So hopefully um, you can push up that league table a little bit more. Um, I mean, you're, you're pretty much safe, aren't you? So, and playoffs might be a little bit out of reach, I suppose, with the amount of games left and the Gonna points available. Going to be a available. process. Next year's the one. That's the one, yeah. So we wish you all the very best. Um, thank, thank you, very you much, so much. Us. No problem. Thanks so much for jumping on for us. We really appreciate it. And no um, worries, anytime. Yeah. Thank you, bud. Nice one. Cheers, Dino. Cheers, mate. Here at Hitting the Areas podcast, we are big supporters of the MND Association for this series. Motor neurone disease is a fatal, rapidly progressing disease that affects the brain and the spinal cord, leading to loss of movement, speech, and ultimately the ability to breathe. My name is Richard Kais and I, I lost my dad to this disease last year and that's why we support it. If you can visit their website, which is the MND Association, if you just Google that, there'll be more information about the disease and also how you can donate if you wish to. Thank you. Rich, that was our chat with Dean Thornton, Swansea City goalkeeping coach. How did you find it? Yeah, really interesting, Jambo. Um, what like one of the main things I took away was uh, how he said that when he got when he got released from Wickham, how how he he sort of lost his love of playing the game, uh, and he he obviously loved the game because he wanted to stay involved, and and then he went down the, you know the sort of coaching path um, with QPR with an old manager of his, um, and then to hear how how you how you can sort of fall out of love with playing, but then fall in love with coaching. And there's such a fine line between the two. Um, but he, he's actually done wonders. I mean, you know, he's only 34 and he's, he's goalkeeping coach for Swansea, who, you know, former, former Premier League side, they're a big club. Um, and and he, he's working with a manager in Russell Martin that, um, you know, me and you both, both feel um, he's going to go to the top in the English game. Um, so yeah, you know, what a lovely lad. We've had a few of these where they're sort of stuck in a hotel room on a on a night before a game, and uh, but you know, the chat can just go on forever, especially when you're talking about such interesting things. And uh, yeah, really good guest, yeah. I mean, parts of it that I liked was 
was that we saw or we heard a lot of the stuff that the ordinary fan won't know about. Um, the sort of contract negotiations, trying to get him to go to MK Dons after he'd been in the agency um, and, and how difficult, even though he said he would work with Mark Russell Martin, um, is that he still has a certain pay level that he needs to meet, you know, to come out of his current job, even to go in to go and do something like that. So, um, yeah, stuff like that, that just, you just not going to know about. It's not, it's not a quick fix. It's not someone just going, you're going to join me as a goalkeeping coach. And it's like, okay, there's stuff to it. And um, I just found that quite interesting. Like we always come back to is like a, a lot of fans forget that whilst these guys have like privileged roles within the game, whether they play coach, uh, scout, whatever they do, it is a job. So when he, when he obviously had that call from Russell wanting him to join him, there's an element. Oh, okay, you know, back into uh, into a, into like a first team environment with with an old friend who who, who he obviously gets on really well with. But like you say, during that contract negotiation, um, you know, he, he has a house and family to look after. So, you know, the money has to be right. You know, he isn't gonna he isn't gonna just like go and go and work for nothing, basically. Um, and that's another side, you know, that that the fans don't really see. Um, you know, you know, just a genuine, honest lad, um, and. You know, being Wickham fans ourselves, it is great to see a former player go on and succeed as a coach in the game, working with a former Wickham player. Um, so, you yeah, know, we, we wish them all, we, you know, we wish them both all the best for the future. So that's it for this week. Um, again, coming up, we are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to add in some bite-sized episodes um, towards the end of the week. Um it won't be with a guest. It will just be with me and Rich um, and just discussing points from the week or, or um, up and coming podcasts and stuff like that. So yeah, it, you know, just short, short versions of this podcast um, just to keep it rolling. Um, again, keep subscribing. Apple podcasts, keep subscribing, keep subscribing on Spotify. Um, leaving us reviews on Apple podcasts is brilliant as much as you can. That'd be great. Or anywhere, Google Podcasts, stuff like that. We're all on there. Um, so, yeah, if you wouldn't mind it, we would really appreciate it if you could follow us and, and subscribe and leave us a review because it really does help us going forward. Um, until next and, week. And also, please do share amongst your football friends. You know, it, it is a great football podcast. We are trying to build this follower base. Um, so, yeah, if you've enjoyed it, please do share it. Thank you. Yeah, so that's Twitter, at Hitting Areas Pod. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Cheers, guys.